we've said that it's impossible to have a oneness consciousness without first having a righteousness consciousness. And we haven't put that statement up now in a few weeks, but it's important and hopefully based upon the things that we've learned over the last few weeks, this statement is making more sense to you now and having greater impact on your understanding of these things. We've been made one with God, but a lot of people continue to live as if they're not or as if they haven't been. And so we need this awareness, this this awareness in our lives that and, and the confidence and the security that this awareness uh, will bring. But without first having a righteousness consciousness, it's impossible to have that oneness consciousness. We've said that oneness and fellowship with God are not possible without right standing with God. And so this should go a long way towards explaining why Father has given to us an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So let's look at Romans um, 5 and 17 tonight. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, and that one man he's referring to there is Adam and Adam's sin, one man's sin, one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who have received an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You have grace, and then you have an abundance of grace. That word abundance means more than is necessary. (laughs) How many of you know we need a grace? Grace means favor and um, uh, blessing from God that is not earned or deserved. And we know that God gives grace, but the Bible also says that he gives more grace. So there are different levels and measures of God's grace that he gives to people. Here we see not just that we've received grace, but we've received an abundance of grace. And among other things, he's saying that the grace that has been given to us is more even than was necessary to accomplish in us what it is that Jesus came to accomplish. And that is to give to you and me the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. And he says that those who receive that abundance of grace and that gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Now, we know that sin caused death And death is separation. And so separation from God is the complete opposite of fellowship with God. Death equals separation. Separation from God is what ultimately ruled us, mankind, with an iron fist until Jesus came. Think about what he's saying here. Death death wasn't just a factor. Death wasn't just a problem. It, it, It was a dominating Ruler, think of a king who has subjects that come under his reign. We were all subject to separation from God because death came on us and into us 
because of sin. And apart from Jesus coming and giving you and me new life, we were hopelessly and helplessly trapped under this rule and reign of death. And there's one word that I want you to think of more than any other word when you hear the word death, and that's the word separation. So we were separated from God without any way possible of being reunited together with God. We lost our position, we lost our standing, and we lost our fellowship. And along the way, we lost our confidence, or we could say it a new way, we lost our security. But now Jesus has come and has given to you and me an abundance of grace. And a part of of this abundance of grace is the gift of righteousness. So now he says, we will reign in life. Do you see the turning of the tables here? Do you see how we've gone from being dominated to to dominating. Now, I'm offering to you that reigning in life that's talked about here in Romans 5 and 17. I'll put that scripture back up. Reigning in life is the result of our functional oneness with God. Remember, the new birth has made us one with God again. That's positional oneness. Just like a man and a woman get married, they become one through a marriage covenant. In the eyes of God. But now that positional oneness gives that same husband and wife a platform from which to then go forth and cultivate and develop and grow up into functioning together as one. The functional oneness is not possible without the positional oneness. There's got to be the positional oneness first and then the functional oneness. Adam had positional oneness with God and he had functional oneness with God. God created him to have that position, and then we see them functioning together when he named the animals. Now we see that Adam sinned. He separated himself from God. He lost his position. He lost his standing. He lost his confidence. He he didn't know where he stood with God anymore. And, And that sin brought death, death meaning separation. Jesus came that we might have life, John chapter 10, verse 10, and that we might have it more abundantly. There's that word again. It's not just a, enough life to get by, but it's more life than is necessary. And that word life there is the word zoe. You see biological life as bios. This would be like a physiological, biological existence. When Adam sinned, he lost his zoe but maintained his bios. Zoe is referring to the life and nature of God. So when Jesus says to a group of people, I've come to give you life, he wasn't saying I've come to give you bios, they already had that. He said, I've come to give you the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance without end. Eternal zoe, abundant zoe. Abundant grace. So reigning in life is the result of our functional oneness with God. Someone who is positionally one with God does not automatically reign in life. Amen. Someone who is, who's been born again and has been made positionally one with God has the capacity, has the potential, has the wherewithal to reign in life, but it's not automatic. 
Because in the same way that Adam could not do what what God created Adam to do apart from God, in the same way that the last Adam, Jesus, couldn't do what he came to this earth to do apart from his Father, we can't do what we're on this earth to do apart from our Father. So do you see, I'm, there's lots of reasons here. I'm wanting, I'm wanting, obviously, to emphasize the gift that we've been given and, and, and the full measure of that gift and what it now means to us and, 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 and the depth of it and the magnitude of it and, and the extent of it. Um, I mean, I'm, I just, this keeps bumping up in my spirits. Let me, let me say this. By faith we understand. Look at this verse in, in class a few moments ago. Uh, but I was actually working on some other things with this verse this past week. And this is what the, the Holy Spirit uh, impressed upon me. It requires faith to understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Okay, and that, that's, that's a pretty big ordeal. I mean, a, <laughs> you know, for God to, you know, like, breathe galaxies out of His mouth... You'll never understand that unless you understand it by faith. In other words, it takes faith to understand it. Anything, anything other than faith means you're not going to understand uh, these things the way God wants you to understand them. He said the same is true when it comes to understanding salvation. It requires the same kind of faith. And, and I, I would even offer to you, I'm not saying the Lord said this, but just in my meditations on this, I believe He guided my thoughts to this point. That not only does it take the same kind of faith to understand salvation, that it takes to understand uh, that God framed the worlds by the words of His mouth, it might even take a little more. Because at least we can see what God has created outwardly, the full scope of what's been done in us and for us and given to us and what we've been made through salvation still for the most part, amen, is, is inside of us, inward realities of the new birth. We see it in Jesus. We see it in Jesus. So we're talking about something that's really big here. That the world and the devil and religion and tradition has tried to make a very small thing. Just keep narrowing it. Just keep watering it down. Just keep kicking things out. Just keep throwing things overboard. And so now we've come to the place where salvation just means you've been forgiven of your sins. When salvation means so, so, so much more than that. Salvation means that the old spirit that was in you was buried with Christ and that you were raised together with Him to newness of life and God put a new spirit in you, that you became a new person with a new identity. Salvation means that you've been seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. Salvation means that you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Salvation means that you now have unbroken fellowship with God. Salvation means that you have now been perfected forever. Salvation means that He became poor so you could become rich. Salvation means He became your sin so that you could become His righteousness. Salvation means that He took the curse of sin off of you and put the blessing of Abraham in you. Salvation means that you're now in the kingdom and the kingdom is in you. Salvation, I'm going to just go on and on and on. What it means, the scope of it, the magnitude of it, the extent of it. And we're just down here bickering over once saved, always saved. And, and why people who believe that are wrong.
But it requires faith to understand it. It requires faith to receive it. It requires faith to understand it. It requires faith to step up into it and walk it out in your life and experience and enjoy it. And it, and it begins with, of course, receiving the Lord Jesus. But then, amen, acknowledging every good thing that's in you, you can't acknowledge what you don't know. Thank you, Jesus. Now, reigning in life then is the result of our functional oneness with God. It's not automatic. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm sad to say this, but, but I, I think I'm pretty safe in, in saying the, the overwhelming majority of people who are positionally one with God, who have been born again, are not ruling and reigning in life. Amen. That's sad. And I'm here to try to help change that. Amen. For us to experience and enjoy what it is that Jesus paid such a high price for us to have and to experience and enjoy. And ultimately, all of this is understood and, and flourishes in our life, yes, by faith, but in, within the context of fellowshipping with God. Now, in Romans 5.17, it speaks of receiving abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, okay? But then we have the clarification in Romans 5.19 and, you know, so two verses later, plus other verses in the New Testament as well as verses from the Old Testament, that righteousness was not just something that we were given, but something that we became or something that we were made. Romans 5 and 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience... Many were made sinners. So do you see the theme, the pattern here? He's talking about Adam and, and what Adam's sin cost us. Then he's talking about Jesus and what his obedience has uh, made available to us. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Made sinners. That's different from sinning. He's talking about sinner as an identity, sinner as, a, as your nature, sinner as, as who you are because you were born of corrupted seed. The Bible says we are, we are sons of disobedience and we are children of wrath. We are the offspring of disobedience and we are the offspring of damnation. We are the offspring of, uh, of, of, of being under uh, a death sentence because of not just what we've done but because of the nature of, that we had before we were born again. So he's saying here that righteousness is not just something we were given. We were given it. We, it was a gift, so I'm not saying that's wrong. But we, once we come to terms with, okay, it's a gift that we've been given... It's not like, you know, that it's something that you have and you just put in your back pocket and carry around with you. He's literally saying that we've been made. We were made sinners by Adam's corrupted seed. We've now been born a second time of a different seed and we've been made righteous. I use, I use this example. I was born of David and Brenda Winslet's seed and I was born with brown eyes. I didn't buy these eyes. I didn't earn these brown eyes. I didn't, I didn't go purchase them. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, like earn them somehow. It, it, it's part of my physical, natural birth. 
I was born with brown eyes. It looks like with uh, Elsie Caroline that we have a blue-eyed granddaughter. Okay? Amen. All right. And I was telling Pam today, you know, she, Pam sent me a picture of her today. And she just, she's just gorgeous. Amen. But then big old blue eyes. I mean, I've looked into the eyes of, of a lot of children now, my two children, my grandchildren, and all of them brown. But, but now we've got some blue ones. Amen. But she was born with those blue eyes. Are you following me? Okay. What's that got to do with anything, Pastor Mark? Well, see, you were born with righteousness now. Just like I was made physically with brown eyes, I've been made again. I was born a second time. And now righteousness is a part of my new being as much as brown eyes are a part of my physical body. I was something I was made, not just something that I was given. Now, how do we know this? Well, we know that seed reproduces after its own kind. If you want corn, plant corn. You can't plant okra and expect to get corn because a seed is going to produce after its own kind. So we were born, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. When we were born the first time, we were born of corrupted seed. Because we were all in Adam in seed form when Adam sinned. That may be a challenging concept for you to wrap your heart and mind around. But the Bible has a lot to say about seed and about the power of seed. For example, in Hebrews 9, we see that when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the Bible uh, states that um, Abraham's grandson Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was in the loins. He was in the seed, uh, in Abraham, in seed form when Abraham paid the tithes. There's a lot in the Bible on that. I'm, maybe I'm going down this little trail that I need to go further, but let's just, for now, let's let that rest, okay? Seed reproduces after its own kind. We were born of corruptible seed, but now that we've been born a second time, we've been born not of seed that's been corrupted by sin, but we've been born a second time of incorruptible seed, seed that cannot be corrupted, that produces the same result every time. And notice that is the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Now, righteousness has become our new identity, it's become our new nature. Look at this, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. So 1 Peter 1.23, now we jump over to 2 Peter, building on what we learned in first, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature. God's nature. Come on now, this is something to get excited about. Partakers of the divine... Partaker means to have an equal share in. That's a fellowship concept. Equal share, two fellows in a ship. It's, it's an equal share concept that you may be partakers. You may have an equal share of the divine nature of God having escaped the corruption. We've escaped the corruption. How do we escape it? We were born of a seed that can't be corrupted. The new nature that you have on the inside of you is a nature that can't be corrupted. Adam's original nature, it could be corrupted. We've now made a choice 
to serve the living God and to receive an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness from Him. And in the process, we were born a second time and this time we received a nature that can't be corrupted. Because it can't be corrupted, we can't die. See, we, we tend to think of eternal life as something that God gets to us after this life passes, after this life ends. No, if you've been born again, you have eternal life and nature of God in you right now. That's why to understand death, you have to understand it as separation. When you breathe your last breath on this planet, should Jesus tarry his return, the spirit on the inside of you will not die. Your spirit and your soul, that's physical death, is when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body. Spiritual death is when your spirit is separated from God's spirit. Physical death is when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body. Your physical body will die. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. It's talking about physiological bios, right? You say, well, that don't make sense to me. Well, listen to me, please. When did my old spirit die? It died with Jesus. It's already died. And it's already been made new. Man, it's getting me excited up in here. All right. So righteousness then. What is righteousness? It's right standing. It's not just that you've been given the gift of right standing. You've been made right before God in the eyes of God. And and, and so, Second um, Corinthians 5, the Bible says this of Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for you. He became your sin. He became my sin. So that you might be made, you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the righteousness that you've been given is none other than the righteousness of Jesus himself. Think about that for a moment. When Father wanted to purge from you and me our sin so thoroughly and ruthlessly cleanse us of it that He could at the same time, if we would step up into this benefit of our salvation, purge our very consciousness of sin. In other words, get rid of the sin and get rid of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation and the unworthiness that that goes along with that. See, this is what he sent Jesus to this earth to do for us. Partakers of the divine nature. Adam, he lost his position. All right, I got so many thoughts. Let me get back to it now. So, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is a righteousness that has never sinned. See, because we haven't been taught this, we settle for this watered-down, not even accurate explanation of salvation that we've been forgiven of our sins. No, Jesus didn't come to forgive you of your sins. He came to take them away. There's a big difference. And He came to make you right before God in the eyes of God, not just give you that position, but to make you that Amen. Make you right before God in the eyes of God. And he did that not by giving you some other version of right standing with God. He gave you his right standing with God. He made you his right standing with God. How did he do that? You were born of his seed. 
His seed produced His righteousness in your born-again spirit. So what does that mean? Again, purge you of your sin, cleanse you of your sin, take away your sin, and at the same time purge your consciousness, purge your awareness of it, purge the shame and the guilt and the insecurity and all these things that, that tag along with that, that were add-ons uh, to that. How does, how does He purge all of that? By giving you the righteousness, uh, the right standing before Him of one who's never sinned. When Father looks at you, He doesn't see a forgiven sinner. He doesn't see a man or a woman who sinned in the past but have straightened up and doing better now. He doesn't look at you and see you as, as a man or a woman who did all kinds of, of, of shameful, maybe even uh, debased, uh, sinful actions. But thank God Jesus you know, has forgiven you and so now you stand before Him as a forgiven sinner. No. You stand before Him justified, just as if you had never sinned, with the same access to Him as Jesus. You see why by faith you understand? You you never understand this. Unless you hear what the Word of God has to say about it, and you choose to use your faith to believe it. Now, When Adam lost his positional oneness with God, it made functional oneness with God impossible. So righteousness then also speaks to our standing with God, our position with Him. Satan never wants you to be confident in your standing with God, so he therefore never wants you to be confident in your salvation told you a few weeks back, I'm going to say it again. Any teaching that causes someone to question their salvation after they've been born again, it's of the devil. And I know that's strong, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, whatever, make people mad, offensive, or what have you. Sometimes the truth's offensive, though. They say, what? What, you say, what, what about this, Pastor? What about that? Are you mean? How many times I heard you mean to tell me that if see again, just hear me. Any thought that's associated with that is expressing a lack of security, a lack of confidence. You ever try to have a relationship with somebody who's insecure? You ever try to be married to somebody who's insecure? When someone brings insecurity into a oneness relationship, it drastically hinders the functional oneness. It, it brings an imbalance to the, the force of fellowship, if you will. Where one person is... is is, is constantly drawing and, and needing and all this other stuff. I hope it hasn't bothered you in the course of this study. I've talked a lot about my marriage to Pam. And there is a lot that God has blessed us with. And I'm not just talking about things and stuff. Um, I am... I don't, I don't have the right English words to, to tell you how secure and confident I am in my 
oneness with her, my fellowship with her. You know what I mean by that? You know, you, you hear about, you know, wives wanting to look at their husbands' phones and says, again, I'm not, just hear me, please. I'm not trying to offend anybody or whatever, but let, let's, let's grow up, amen, if, if we're still in that. Let's, let's get it right. Let's get it right. I'm not trying to make anybody mad. I'm just trying to tell you, right? Notice, what is all that? It's insecurity. It's lack of confidence. It's a problem, and it's not fun. It's not edifying. It's, 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 it will destroy you. It's, it'll make you miserable. Okay, I'm not, again, I'm not... There's something very beautiful about having security and confidence. And the devil never wants you to experience that and enjoy that with God. He always wants you to be second-guessing. He always wants you to be thinking that, you know, this and that and this and that and these, and these other things. Functional oneness with God is dependent upon positional oneness with Him, but positional oneness is not dependent upon functional oneness. We've made these points three Wednesdays in a row now. And this is important to understand because it means your position is not based upon your performance. But your ability to perform is based upon your position. Did you, pick, did you catch that? So we've said that our positional oneness with God is based upon who Jesus is and what He has done for us. And the price paid to reestablish you in positional oneness with God should also go a long way towards showing us how important our functional oneness with God is to Him. Now, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. I mentioned this verse a moment ago. It says, For by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. <laughs> before you heard that verse here, how many of you ever heard that verse before? <laughs> it's like, you know, there's so many times that I feel compelled to almost apologize to people who were raised in church but never had any of these things explained to them. So I do this sometimes. Let's do it again tonight. We've got some time for this. Let's, let's take the time for this, okay? Um, if I'm just browsing and I walk in a suit store to, to buy a, a sport coat or a suit, a really good suit salesman will look at me and he'll pull not the most expensive suit but not the cheapest one either he'll pull it off the rack in my size because he's so experienced he knows from looking what size suit coat I wear and then he'll say it but you know he knows right he'll say 48 extra long right and he'll pull it off. He's real dramatic with it, right? He'll pull it off and he'll, he'll hold it up. He'll say, try this one on. Right? Now, I'm not, I, you know, I'm, so, but anyway, I slide my arm in it, right? He goes, now step over here and look in this mirror. Because he's, see, he's, he's wanting to sell it to me, right? 
And he knows if he can ever get me in it and let me feel it and, 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 and let me see myself in it, you know, and then I'm trying not to do this, you know, while he uh, turns his back because that's where the price usually is on the suit. You know, it's like how much this thing costs, right? Okay. So try it on. Try it on, okay? I want you to try something on tonight. I want you to see how it fits. I want, I want you to see how this feels. I want, you to, I want you to see how this looks on you and, 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 and how... Uh, you know, it, it, you know, cause you, you can, you know, you're, like, you're looking pretty nice here, right? You know what I'm saying? You know, it's like, hey, okay, you know, I can see myself preaching to a multitude, you know, whatever. Okay, so, all right. Okay, so, um, let, let's just stand. Praise God. Let's just stand and do it. Let's, let's stand up because you can't, you can't try something on sitting down, okay? All right. All right. I, I want you to, I want you to try this on. Can you try this on for me? Can you try this on for me? Okay. Try this on right here. Just by saying this out. So say this out loud. Repeat, repeat this after me, okay? All together, let's try it on. I have been perfected, have been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. Come on again. I have been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Come on, let's try it on again. I have been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. How's that feel? Does that feel pretty good on you? Feel pretty secure in that? Feel pretty confident in that? All right, let's um, let's try on some. What we're gonna try on now? So now they they got that on you right there. While you're over there looking at yourself and seeing how much the suit costs, he's he's back with a sh- shirt and tie that matches it, right? Okay. Right? He's wanting you to see that shirt and tie. So let's put a shirt and tie with this. And I know you ladies don't wear shirts and ties, but amen. What it, now they got the earrings and the necklaces for the ladies, right? Okay, so, so we're going to do this again, but we're going to add a shirt and a tie to it or earrings and necklace, okay? I have been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. I have been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. And my fellowship with God cannot be broken. Come on now. I've been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> and my fellowship with God cannot be broken. How's that feel? It does feel good, doesn't it? That does feel good. Sit down let me finish this for right quick, okay? So, Father desires unbroken fellowship with you. No such thing as on again, off again, oneness. Father desires unbroken fellowship with you, but what is, let let, let me back up here for a minute, because we're talking about looking at the price tags on stuff, right? Okay. So Father God, this is what he wants. You ready? Among other things, this is, this, this was his desire for you. This was his will concerning you. This was what he determined within himself. Remember I told you last week, he decides all things according to the counsel of his own will, which means he didn't ask you. If, if we had, if we had been invited to the bargaining table to, 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 to negotiate some kind of contract or covenant with God, we would have never asked for the things that He has abundantly, His abundant grace has given to us. Can you imagine sitting down to negotiate your own salvation deal with God and you saying, look, it's a deal breaker, God, unless you let me sit together with Jesus in the heavenly places, I'm out. We would never ask for that. 
We don't know. Okay, Jesus, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm interested, but unless you make me uh, a, an equal heir with you to our Father, then uh, deals off. We would never, unless you give me the same right standing and the same fellowship and the same access with Father God, then I'll just I'll just take my life somewhere else and do something else with it. So we 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 would have never. That's why in the last minute. Abraham went to sleep and Jesus made the covenant with God as Abraham's covenant representative. Because in Abraham's situation, what were they saying? They were saying, if we break this covenant, let, let what's done to these animals that are dead and bleeding into this ditch um, be done to me and to, and to my descendants. So Abraham falls into a deep sleep. Jesus walks through the ankle deep blood and sand and he says... Here's the covenant, and if they break it, I'll pay the price. Now, fast forward to the, to the New Testament. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't go to sleep because we were dead, spiritually dead. But Jesus made a covenant as our covenant representative with God the Father. And He's not ashamed to call you covenant brothers and sisters, one with God. Now, here it is. So, and we'll finish here. But here's the question, okay? Father God's desire didn't, didn't ask us, according to his counsel of his own will, he says, this is what I want. This is what I want, okay? I want unbroken fellowship. And in order to have unbroken fellowship, then they're going to have to be made perfect forever. Now, here's the question, okay? What does something like that cost? Are you, are you In other words, it's not free for for this to be given to you and me as a gift. A price has got to be paid. So, what's the price? That makes a sheep, a goat, a heifer, a turtle dove. I mean, you, you could take a flock and a herd of all of those Old Testament sacrifices compared to the price that it's going to take to perfect forever and make the way for unbroken fellowship with God. A whole herd of animals is chump change compared to what this is going to cost. So we talk about putting this coat on. I have been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. That robe of righteousness, my friend, the price for it was the uncreated, only begotten Son of the living God. And He paid it. He paid it. He paid the price for you and me by one offering of Himself, Hebrews 10 and 14, by one offering of Himself, He paid the price so that we could have unbroken fellowship. Let me go back to Hebrews 10, 14. 14, By one offering of himself, by one payment of himself, Jesus paid with himself, with his life, with his life's blood. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I'm not making this up. 
It's like, you know, you mean to tell me? No, I'm, I'm not telling you the Word of God right there. Hebrews 10 and 14. Come on now, that, what did, what did Dorothy say to Toto? We're not in Kansas anymore. We, we're not splashing around in, in the shallows of, of religious tradition anymore that we've been forgiven of our sins. No, we, we, it's a lot more than that. The blood of a, of a goat could at least keep you alive for another year, another few months. It couldn't make anything perfect according to Hebrews. Perfected nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, that that's, ties back into abundance of grace. More than what was necessary. To do what? To perfect you forever so that you can experience and enjoy unbroken fellowship with God. Now, I'm out of time. Let me, let me just say this. We're going to get into what the Bible says about eternal redemption. Remember, redemption is a price to secure, a price paid to secure a, a ransom or cover a debt. Okay? We're going to get into that. The Bible doesn't say temporary redemption. It says eternal redemption. Eternal redemption is necessary for eternal salvation. I'm not quoting from somebody's doctrinal handbook. I'm quoting from the Word of the living God. He said eternal redemption. He said eternal salvation. He said eternal inheritance. Amen. Okay. Now, here is the part. I want to give you this because I used to think that I knew what eternal meant. And anybody who's ever honored me with a question about, Pastor, how do you you know, what do I need to do? I want to preach. I feel like I'm called to preach. I feel like I'm called to teach the Word of God. You know, what advice can you give me? What help can you give me? Um, what tools do I need? I always tell people one of, the, one of the most, obviously the Bible and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. But among the tools that you need is a dictionary. A dictionary because words mean things. Words convey meanings. And sometimes we think we know what a word means until we look it up and then we realize it means so much more. Okay, And this word eternal is that way. I think if we were to ask the average person, what does eternal mean? It means, well, you know, something that continues forever. And you would be right, but you would not be completely right. Something that is eternal is something that continues forever that cannot be changed. That cannot be interrupted. Okay, that's eternal. The, the key word there is perpetuity or perpetual. Some of these bigger words when you dig into these Greek words and, and start breaking them down. Okay. But what that word means, perpetuity or perpetual, it, it, it means that it can't be changed. It's, it's, if it's eternal, it not just goes on without end. It continues as it is without end and can't be changed, can't be interrupted, can't be reversed. Are you seeing this? So if God gives you a gift that can't be changed, <laughs> that goes on forever, how, how arrogant is it 
to say that you can change it. That you can reverse it. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Praise God. I've been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. And my fellowship with God cannot be broken. Amen. The devil never wants you to be secure in that. He never wants you to be confident in that. He never wants you to look yourself in the mirror every morning when you wake up and confess that. But it's true. Not because I said it. Because God did. So I just don't understand that, Pastor Mark. You never will unless you understand it by faith. Amen. But when you tried that coat on just a minute ago, it felt good on you, didn't it? Some of you right now, the devil's trying to steal it from you. He's going, man, you wish that was true. It's true, dude. It's true, dude. It is true. Amen. Father, you're so good to us. An abundance of grace. Excessive amounts. More than enough. Father, we don't, we don't have to be jealous or envious or feel like we've got to sneak around and see what you're up to because you, we can't trust you. Father, we can trust you. And you love us and you're good to us. And I thank you, Father, tonight for helping us find the confidence and the security that we need in you. And then, Father, for that to translate into the confidence and security that we so desperately need to enjoy the other unions that we have in our lives. The unions that we have with our spouses, the unions that we have with um, other members of the household of faith, brothers and sisters that you've joined us together with. Father, help us in some of these other unions that we have where Satan has tried to use offense and and hurt and betrayal against us to torment us. Father, help us to let that go. Help us to forgive. Help us to learn to trust again. Help us, Father, to to allow the positional oneness that we have with you and the positional oneness that is so precious that we have with other members of the body of Christ, the positional oneness that we have with other members of our families. Father, for that precious positional oneness to translate into the joy and the pleasure and the satisfaction and the fulfillment of functional oneness as well. Father's not a person listening to me right now that hasn't done things in the past that we wish we could go back and do differently. Lord, but you don't look at it that way anymore, Father. You see us through a different lens. And that lens is a lens of truth. So thank you, Father, for supernaturally and miraculously and divinely taking away our sin by the blood of Jesus. And then, Father, 
helping us get over any guilt or shame or offense that would exist between our minds and you and also, Father, in other unions and connections that we have in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Know that you're loved. Know that God is with you and for you. Amen. Amen. Let him help you see yourself according to the truth. All right. Love you. More to come. Good things coming.